Anybody thankful for the power of Christ this morning? Thank you for being here today. I'm looking forward to uh, what God is going to teach us today in His Word. And this is our second week in a brand new venue, and we are still working through some things. So uh, we're we're doing our best. And uh, aren't you thankful for this brand new venue? Though, aren't you thankful that we can be here this morning? And uh, it's going to be a good day uh, in God's house, and I'm excited about teaching the Word of God this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter number 2. 2 Kings chapter number 2 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, we are going to be concluding uh, our series today, One of Us. Everybody say, One of Us. And uh, we're going to be concluding this series that we've been in uh, over the last seven weeks. And we've been studying the life of Elijah. And the Bible tells us that Elijah was a man of like passions, just like uh, we are. He was one of us. He was an ordinary person that was used by God in an extraordinary way. And uh, we've been learning some powerful principles from uh, the book of First and Second Kings, from the life of Elijah. And I'm excited about next week. We're going to begin a brand new series entitled Truth Be Told. And uh, everybody say, Truth Be Told. And I'm looking forward greatly to uh, that series. I want to encourage you to bring a friend with you. We're going to be spending the, uh, the remainder of the summer looking at some powerful tr- uh, truths that Jesus told through uh, parable form. He, he would tell these little stories that had a, had a big idea, had a, a heavenly meaning. And we're going to look at some of these powerful parables. And we're going to see some truths that Jesus was communicating through these parables. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, being able to teach that. And uh, I believe that it will be an encouragement to all of us this morning. And so 2 Kings chapter number 2 is where we're going to be uh, today, and we're coming to the end of the life of Elijah, and God used Elijah in a dramatic and powerful way. He he uh, prayed uh, that the rain would fall, and the rain came, and he prayed fire from heaven, and fire came, and, and uh, God used him in a great and mighty way, and today we're going to be looking at the uh, exit of the life of Elijah, and his exit is just as dramatic and powerful as his entrance. And uh, several weeks ago, I think almost eight weeks ago now, we studied the entrance of the life of Elijah. He kind of just came onto the scene real suddenly out of nowhere. And uh, he came onto the scene right in front of uh, Ahab, the wicked king, and kind of pointed his finger at Ahab and and said, hey, it's not going to rain because of the wickedness and because of the sin that's taking place in Israel. Out of nowhere, he shows up. And now his his exit is going to be sudden and dramatic as well. We're going to look at it in 2 Kings chapter 2. If you got your Bible open, we'll start reading in verse number 1. If you're there, would you say Amen. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number 1. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And so we have Elijah and we have Elisha who is next in line, the next prophet. And uh, they are walking together. Verse number 2. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha, and they said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. Verse number four. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, and I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho, they came to Elisha, and they said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And the two went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went, and they stood to view afar off. Everybody say afar off. They, they viewed afar off, and they stood 
by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and he wrapped it together and he smote the waters and they were divided hither and thither so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind. Everybody say a whirlwind. A whirlwind into heaven. Pretty cool story. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this day you've given us. God, thank you this morning that we have this opportunity to meet together, to look to your word, to learn some principles from scripture that we can apply to our lives. God, I pray that this morning we would not simply be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. God, I pray that we can take some truths that we learned this morning and apply them to our lives so that we can leave here differently, so that we can leave here with a pure motivation and ambition to do your will, to do uh, the calling that you've placed on each and every one of us. God, I pray that for the next few minutes we will uh, put away distractions and we'll be able to have a holy uh, attention uh, put on your word, Lord. I pray that you will fill me with your spirit to give me the words to say that would be helpful and uh, beneficial for all of us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... How many of you have ever uh, had your eyes dilated? Can I see your hand? You've had your eyes dilated. If you haven't had your eyes dilated, it's the weirdest experience. The uh, optometrist will take a little bit of eye drops and they'll drop it uh, in your eyes and that causes your uh, pupils to widen and uh, which allows more light to come in so the doctor can have a better look at the back of your eye and it's kind of a strange experience really for two reasons. I remember a couple years ago I decided uh, that I needed to get uh, some some eye work done and so I went to the doctor and uh, and I was getting my eyes dilated and uh, so so I went in there and he, he poured the drops in and I remember my eyes, uh, uh, it was really weird for two reasons. One, uh, my eyes turned completely black. My pupils widened, so my eyes were very black. And so I looked kind of scary, like some sort of vampire or zombie or something like that. And uh, Katie was like looking at me, but she was kind of scared, I can tell. And so it was a little bit strange to have my eyes completely uh, blacked out like that. But what was also very weird about having your eyes dilated, and if you've ever had this experience, you know what I'm talking about. What is right in front of you becomes very blurry, but what is out in the distance, you can see fine. You can see clearly. What's out ahead of you, if I'm looking far away, I can see that clearly, but what's right in front of me, I can't see it. And so I remember I, I had my eyes dilated, and I was walking with Katie, and I had my phone in front of me, but I could not read it. And so literally, uh, I was walking around the mall for about an hour with my phone way out here, trying to read you know, text messages and trying to figure out what's going on. I looked like a complete moron trying to read my phone out at a distance. I could see... I could see fine if it was far away, but what was right in front of me, I could not see clearly. And the truth is, this morning, sometimes it's healthy to ask God to dilate your eyes a little bit spiritually, where you can gain some long-term clarity, and what seems so important right now, what's in front of you right now, that kind of blurs away a little bit, and you can focus on what is out ahead of you and what really matters in the end. This morning, I'm praying that God will allow us to gain some long-term clarity, to allow us to have a vision for the end of your life. The time to start thinking about the end of your life is today. Whether you are young, whether you are old, it doesn't really matter. The time to start thinking about your legacy and what story you want to tell at the end of your life is now. See, foresight is always better than hindsight. And so we're coming to the end of the life of Elijah And he comes to the end of his life, and he teaches us some very valuable principles about establishing a godly legacy. 
He teaches us some valuable principles about how to have some long-term clarity, how to live with the end in mind. And this morning for a few minutes, I want to speak to that subject, living with the end in mind. How can we uh, establish a legacy now? And how can we start thinking long-term now so that when we come to the end of our life, we can tell the story that God wanted us to tell? The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes chapter number 7, verse number 8, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Psalms uh, chapter 78, verse number 4 says this, we will hide not them, we will hide uh, excuse me, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to leave a godly legacy so that the generation coming up behind me and my kids will be able to praise the Lord and have an understanding of what this scripture says and be able to build their life on the foundation that is God's word. I want to leave a legacy behind me that the next generation can come in and praise the Lord. This morning, what kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of legacy do you wish to leave? Elijah is coming to the end, and he's traveling, and he's visiting some schools, and these uh, sons of the prophets, and he's going to teach us how to live with the end in mind. And I want to give you just five uh, easy principles and five easy ways that we can live with the end in mind this morning. Number one, if you'd like to take notes, number one is this. Follow the route. If we want to live with the end in mind, and we want to please God with our lives and leave a godly legacy, we have to follow the the route. Notice what the Bible says in verse number one. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And so God had revealed to Elijah that his time had come. God had revealed to uh, Elijah that he was about to pass on and uh, he was going to be taken up into heaven in a whirlwind. In the, in the Hebrew, the whir- that word whirlwind literally means uh, uh, kind of like a raging storm, like a, a strong, fierce wind that he was going to be taken up. And so He's uh, uh, making his way uh, to the Jordan uh, River where he is going to be taken up to heaven uh, by a whirlwind. And the whole time, this whole process, I want you to see that he's following the route uh, that God had given him. He's going to stop at at, uh, several different places, at Gilgal, at Jericho, at Bethel. He's following the route uh, that God uh, had given him. And uh, when I first started dating Katie, we were talking about... Uh, kind of our upbringings a little bit, and, and I was trying to uh, impress her a little bit, and I was saying, hey, I, I've played a lot of different sports growing up, and, and uh, I was telling her, you know, I played baseball, and I played basketball, and I played hockey for a little bit. I played a lot of different sports, and she said, did you play football? And I said, of course I played football. The only thing is I played flag football, and, uh, and uh, my school was a Christian school. We could not afford tackle football, and so we played flag football, and Katie said to me, well, that doesn't count. And I said, what do you mean it doesn't count? Like, it still takes skill to play flag football, right? I was trying to explain to her that, that you know, it, it takes some talent to pull flags off people, and I was trying to tell her that I was very quick with my hand speed to pull flags off people. And I was trying to explain to her that that flag football was the real deal, and uh, she was not buying it, though. And I remember uh, when I first started playing flag football in junior high, I played wide receiver, and our coaches would get us together, and they were, they were teaching us these different patterns and these different routes that we were to run. And they would teach us a slant route and a, and a chair route and a, and a straight route, all these different routes. And our coaches would kind of instill into us, and they constantly would tell us, follow the route. Everybody say, follow the route. 
you're going to be tempted to go a different direction. You're going to be tempted to do your own route because you think you're going to get the ball quicker, but just follow the route so the quarterback knows where to throw the ball. I want to encourage you this morning to follow the route that God has given you. A lot of times we're going to be tempted to kind of go a different direction, to go what we think makes sense, to go into an area where we think could be more beneficial for us, but I want to encourage you to follow the route that God has given you, even until the end, because that's exactly what Elijah is doing in his last days. He's following the route. He goes from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. Why did he do that? Because God told him to do that. And if you're going to follow the route that God has given you, it's going to take two things. It's going to take, number one, submission. Submission. Notice what it says in verse number two. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. Verse number four, And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. Verse number six, And Elijah said unto him, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. You know what Elijah was doing up until the very last moments of his life? He was submitting to the word of the Lord. He was submitting to the route that God had given him. See, Elijah experienced great provision from God throughout his life, but it's because he first demonstrated great submission to God throughout his life. If you want to experience God's provision in your life, then you've got to demonstrate great submission to the route that God has given you. Whatever God says for you to do, go ahead and just do it. Go ahead and just follow the route. Some of the greatest characters in Scripture that we can study and learn of today, uh, they, they demonstrated this great kind of submission where they said, you know what, God, whatever you want from me, I'll just follow the route that you've given me. Mary, she said, be it unto me, according to thy word. God, this doesn't quite make total sense, but I'll go ahead and do it. Samuel, he said, here am I, Lord, send me whatever you want. Here am I, I'll, I'll do it. I'll submit to the plan. I'll follow the route. I'll go. When Jesus came to Peter fishing and he said, cast your net on the other side, Peter said, I don't know if this quite makes sense. I mean, Peter, he was the professional fisherman. He knew the ins and outs of the trade. He knew what he was supposed to do. And he said, nevertheless, at thy word, I will. He was demonstrating submission. God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll go ahead and do. And so Elijah is traveling this route, and he's going from uh, Gilgal to, Jer to Bethel to Jericho. He's doing all these things. Why? Because that's what God told him to do. This morning, are you submitting to the route that God has given to you? Are you following the route? And so if we're going to follow the route, it's going to take submission. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 23, verse 22, but if thou shalt indeed obey his voice, everybody say obey, obey, obey his voice and do all that I speak. Submission, obeying, saying, okay, God, I'll do it. See, a lot of times our problem is not information. It's just application. It's just actually doing what we know that we're supposed to do. And if you want to leave a godly legacy, if you want to live with the end in mind, you're going to go ahead and just follow the route that God has given you and not try to fight it, and not try to come up with your own plan. And so there, there is submission, but also I believe that if we're going to follow the route that God has given us, it's not only going to take submission, but it's also going to take ambition. Everybody say ambition. ambition. The word ambition means a strong desire or determination to do something. And we see here in this passage that both Elijah and Elisha have a strong determination and a strong ambition to do the calling that God had given them, to follow the route. Uh, we'll see it here uh, in verse number 2 again. It says, And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And so Elijah here is testing uh, the faith, and he's testing the determination and the commitment of Elisha. And so he's saying, hey, why don't you just wait here at Gilgal, 
And Elisha says, no way, I'm coming with you. I'm coming with you. Verse number four, and Elijah tests him again. He says unto him, Elisha, tarry here. I pray thee for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. Verse number six, and Elijah said unto him, tarry here. I pray thee for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And so, so three times Elijah says, hey, Elisha, why don't you go ahead and just wait here? Why don't you wait here at Gilgal and at Bethel and at Jericho? And three times Elisha says, no, I've got to go with you. Why? Because he had this strong determination and he had this ambition to say, you know what? I, I, I don't care what opportunities there are. I'm going to stay faithful to the route that God has given me. I'm just going to keep on going. See, Elisha is learning something from Elisha that for every opportunity, there will always be an off-ramp. Anytime God gives you a new opportunity, there's always going to be an off-ramp provided by the devil. God gives you a new opportunity. Hey, you can come here. You can serve. You can be a part of this church. You can give. There's always going to be an easy way out. There's always going to be an off-ramp where you can kind of just hang out at Gilgal. But what I'm praying this morning is that God would raise up some people in this church that would say, you know what, I'm not going to be comfortable and content to just stay over here in Gilgal. I'm not going to be comfortable and content to just stay here in Bethel or in Jericho. I'm going to keep on going all the way to Jordan. I'm going to have some ambition to say, God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up easy. I'm not going to stay over here in Gilgal. I'm going to keep on going all the way and follow the route that God has given me. He said, I've got to just keep going. So there was this submission. I'll do it. Then there was ambition. No matter what, I'm going to keep on going. And, and there was some ambition even through the face of criticism. Notice what the Bible says in verse number three. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yeah, I know it. Hold ye your peace. So as they're traveling to these different cities, and Elijah's kind of having his farewell tour, he's going to these different schools of the prophets. This were, these were schools that were training up. They were kind of like Bible colleges of the day. They were training up the next prophets founded by uh, Samuel, and they would train these prophets. And so Elijah's going to these different places. And apparently God had revealed to these schools and to some of these students that Elijah would be taken up to heaven by a whirlwind. They knew it. But they come to Elisha and they say, hey, do you know this? Do you know that Elijah is about to be taken up? And they were kind of trying to show off their knowledge a little bit. They were, kind of, they were kind of trying to show what they knew and kind of test Elisha a little bit and see what he would have to say. And what's interesting is what they said was correct, but the way in which they said it was not. And I've learned that you can have the right doctrine, but if you couple that with the wrong demeanor, that will lead to your downfall. I've known many people that had the right doctrine. They were on the right track. They knew what they believed. They were saying the right things, but they were saying it in the wrong spirit, and that led to destruction. You can say the right thing with the wrong spirit and still hurt someone. And so these sons of the prophets, they came in and they said, hey, Elisha, did you know that your master is about to leave you today? We know this. Did you know this? And, and they're kind of testing him a little bit. And, uh, and uh, Elisha says unto them in, in verse number three, he says, hold ye your peace. That's a nice way of saying shut up. He's like, yeah, I know. Shut up. Elisha is teaching us something this morning, and that's this. If you're going to have a true commitment, if you're going to have true ambition to follow the route that God has given you, sometimes you're going to have to do it without the moral support of one's fellow man. Sometimes you're going to have to follow God without the support of those people that should be supporting you. 
If anybody should have supported Elisha and Elijah in this journey, it should have been the sons of the prophets, the prophets in training. They should have been the ones encouraging and praying and helping. But instead, they're showing off their knowledge and they're actually being a discouragement. You know, some people just kind of have that gift of discouragement. They want to come in and say what they know, and it kind of just stings a little bit at the wrong time. And so, so, so Elisha is showing, hey, you know what? I don't care who stands with me. I'm going to follow the route. Elijah said, I'm going to follow the route. In 1927, Charles Lindbergh, he made history when he made the first successful flight over the Atlantic Ocean. And much has been said about his plane, the Spirit of St. Louis, probably the most famous aircraft in history. And they had... Uh, been constantly working on this plane. They were taking off things to try to try to make the plane uh, lighter. And they were trying to take off uh, anything that they could that was not necessary in order to put more fuel in the plane so they can make it all the way across. And one of the most interesting adjustments made to the spirit of St. Louis is that Charles Lindbergh uh, decided that he was going to remove the brakes. And he said, they're just too heavy. I'm going to remove the brakes. You know what? I just got to get there no matter what. I'll, I'll land in a larger field that has maybe a little bit more space. I don't need the brakes until I get there. And see, that's the kind of commitment that fuels success. That says, you know what? I don't need the brakes. I'm not stopping until I arrive at my destination. And this morning, I believe that that's exactly where Elijah and that's exactly where Elisha were. We're going to follow this route that God's given us. And we're not stopping until we arrive at the destination. It doesn't matter who's with us. It doesn't matter who's against us. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to be faithful to the route that God has given me. Does anybody this morning want to be faithful to the route that God has given you and say, you know what, God, I'm going to go ahead and submit to your word. And I'm going to go ahead and have a little bit of ambition and determination to follow through with the route that you've given me. That's number one. Number two, we've got to follow the route and then we've got to activate our faith. Activate your faith. So Elijah and Elisha, they're making this journey. Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, they come to Jordan. Notice what it says in verse seven. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and they stood to view far off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle, and he wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And I love this scenario here, and I love this scene, that Elijah was demonstrating faith all the way up until his last few breaths and last moment on earth. And uh, really, Elijah's entire life was characterized by faith. Time and time again, he exercised faith. Time and time again, he obeyed what God had told him to do, even when it didn't make sense. And he was predicting rain, even when he couldn't see clouds. And time and time again, he was operating by faith. And even in his last few moments, he comes to the Jordan River. And I don't know exactly how you picture the scene. If they come up to the Jordan River and, and Elijah grabs his mantle, I don't know if he does it quickly. He just kind of grabs it, casually strikes the water and walks across. Or I don't know if he took time to kneel down and pray and, and kind of made it a bigger, uh, longer scene. I don't know what he did, but he was convinced of what he believed, and he operated and activated his faith. It's interesting that Elijah is not mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter number 11. The Hall of Faith in Hebrews uh, chapter number 11, uh, it mentions several Old Testament characters, and it mentions them by name about how they operated by faith, and Moses, and Rahab, and all these different people uh, that demonstrated great faith. Well, Elijah, if anybody in the Old Testament operated by faith, I mean, it was Elijah. He was constantly operating by faith, and he's not mentioned by name, but if you look closely enough, I believe that you will find Elijah in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. It says this in verse number 35 of this chapter on faith. It says, Women received their dead raised to life again. 
I believe this is a reference and a mentioning to when Elijah uh, raised the widow at Zarephath's son. Women received their son, uh, received their dead, raised to life again. And so it's interesting that Elijah, we see a picture of him there, but he's, he's not mentioned by name. Why is that? Because I believe that Elijah was content to operate in the shadows. What a great picture of the life of Elijah, someone who was dominated and operated and activated his faith, but also with humility. That says, it's not about me, it's not about getting recognition. That, I believe that's a perfect picture of Elijah, to operate by faith and in humility. And this morning, if you want to live with the end in mind, operate with some faith and say, you know, I'm going to activate my faith and I'm going to, I'm going to believe God for great things, but I'm also going to do it with a spirit of humility. I don't care if I get the recognition, I don't care if I get the, the honor or the reward, I just want to be faithful to the calling that God has given me. Activate your faith. If we want to activate our faith, there are two things that we learn from Elijah's demonstration here in verses 7 and 8. One, we've got to be convinced of what we believe. Elijah walked up to the river that day, and he was 100% convinced of what he believed. There was no doubt in his mind that as soon as he struck that water, it was going to part, and he was going to be able to miraculously walk across on dry ground. He was convinced about what he believed. The other day, I heard my daughter, she's three years old, she was talking to Siri. How many of you have ever spoken with Siri before? Anybody? A few of you? Okay. How many of you know what Siri is? Can I see your hands? Okay. And I walked in uh, to the room, and Liv was talking to Siri, and uh, I heard kind of an interesting conversation, and so I thought it was funny, so I went over and I screenshotted it, and I wanted to show you this morning. I think we have a picture this morning, and and, uh, this is Liv, and she said, Siri, do you have parents? Siri says, I have you. That's enough family for me. And then Liv said, like your family. And uh, Siri said, who, me? And she said, she meant to say, do you like your family? I like mine. Siri said, who, me? Siri, I think I know you. <laughs> and I thought that was funny that she said, Siri, I think I know you. <laughs> like, based on your responses, I think that I know you. You know, sometimes that's our view and that's our attitude with God. We think we know him. We think we have an understanding. But many times we have a misunderstanding of who God is. We think we know. We think, yeah, I think God could take care of this situation. And I I think maybe this, but we're not operating in the realm of certainty. Elijah was confident and convinced about what he believed. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy 3, verse number 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Everybody say, assured of. He says, uh, continue in those things. Ephesians 3, verse 12 says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. And so be convinced of what you believe. Do you really believe that there's a heaven and hell? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is God, that, 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 that uh, he really came to earth and lived a perfectly sinless life and died on the cross for your sins? If you really believe that, then let's activate our faith. Let's start acting like it. So be convinced of what you believe, but also be courageous when others are watching. If we're going to activate our faith, we've got to be courageous when others are watching. Notice what it says in verse number 7. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Verse number 7 says this. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and they stood to view afar off. They wanted to see, but they weren't willing to get close enough. Can I tell you this this morning? The sidelines of Christianity are always full. There's plenty of people that are content to sit on the sidelines. There's plenty of people that are content to view afar off and see, what are they doing over there? You know, what's heart and soul about? Well, I, maybe I'll go. And, and uh, what, what's Girls Rock about? Girl, that's a weird name. Well, you know, I don't know what, Viewing afar off. 
Fewer people say, you know what, I want to get up close. I want to be in the game. I, I, I want to be up close and personal to the action that God uh, wants me to be involved in. I don't want to just be content to spectate from the sidelines. I want to be serving on the front lines. And so these sons of the prophets, they were content to just kind of view afar off. Everybody say afar off. They were watching. But Elijah was courageous even when others were watching. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed. I don't care what people think. I don't care who's watching my life. I'm going to go ahead and live to the glory of God. I want to do what God uh, has called me to do. I'm not ashamed. I'm not worried about that. Elijah was courageous even when other people were watching. This morning, can I tell you, go ahead and pray for your meal when people are watching at work. Go ahead and let people know that you're a Christian. Don't be ashamed to to let people know about your faith on your social media. It's okay if people are watching. Yeah. Go ahead and let them watch and just do what God has called you to do. Yeah. It's okay if they're standing afar off being curious. Go ahead and just be a light anyways and say, you know what, I'm going to live my life to the glory of God because that's what God wants me to do. Yeah. We've got to be courageous even when other people are watching. And let me say this, people are watching. People are observing your life. People are observing my life. People are observing what we're doing at Rock Hill Baptist Church. People are watching, and so let's make sure that when they look, they see the glory of God. They, they, they see us operating by faith and activating our faith so that God ultimately gets the glory. If you want to live with the end in mind, activate your faith. Activate your faith. Number three, invest in people. If you want to live with the end in mind, and if you want to make a difference, and if you want to leave a godly legacy, then the greatest thing that you can possibly do is to invest in the lives of other people. If you want to leave a godly legacy, then invest in others, not in yourself. And I love this story for so many reasons, and I love this story. I've preached it many times different ways, but I love how Elijah and Elisha are two different generations working together for the cause of Christ. I love that they're both working together and that Elijah is wanting to train up the next generation and Elisha just wants to wants to have the same power that Elijah had and they're both working together the both generations want uh, God to be glorified when we were starting this church in the in the in the infancy where we still are in the infancy our church is only uh, six months old but even before we started we um, we were writing down some core values, and you can go to our website if you'd like, and, and uh, one of the tabs says uh, RH values, and some of the values that, that we wrote down that we wanted to uh, kind of stick by, kind of a code to adhere, uh, adhere to, uh, not doctrine, not, not from the Bible um, necessarily as far as our, our, our strict belief in doctrine, but just some things that we wanted to be guided by, and, and some of them uh, say this, number eight on the list is this, we empower young people. We believe that there is a generation of young people that have the potential to change the world. Many people look at young people and they say, I don't know, they discount them and say they can't do it. They need to get serious. They, need, they have a lot of learning to do. Hey, guess what? Young people can do some big things for God. Charles Spurgeon was 16 years old when he was pastoring a church of 200 people. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. Hey, hey, listen, young people can do some great things for God, and we want to be a church that empowers young people, that not pushes them to the side and say, wait till you're a little bit older. How about you start making a difference and serve God now and do some big things now? We believe in the next generation. How many of you are thankful that we want to invest into the next generation and believe that there are some teenagers and some young people and some kids in Rock Hill kids that have the potential to do some big and great things, and it's not just about us and what we're doing. It's about them and what they're learning and, and the lives that they're going to step into. And so we empower young people, but the next one says this, we strive to honor. And it says under this, we want to honor those who have gone before us and those who labor alongside us. I believe that this church is for all generations. 
It's not just for young people. It's not just for single adults. It's not just for old people. It's for all generations. And I believe that a lot of times there's too much talk about millennials and Gen X and baby boomers and which one's the best and which one's right and which one, all these. How about we just put that aside and strive together for the faith of the gospel? How about we get back to what we do best and that's just preaching the gospel and saying, hey, we're all on the same team and let's play to our strengths and do what God's called us to do. And so I see Elijah training the next generation in Elisha, and Elisha's going to pick up the mantle and follow in his footsteps, both operating in what God wanted them to do. I see that in two ways. I see the request that Elijah gives Elisha. Notice the request in verse number 9. It says this, And it came to pass when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. Now that's a pretty big request. That's a pretty big a privilege there that Elijah gives Elisha. He says, all right, Elisha, I'm about to go. I'm about to be caught up in a whirlwind. I'm about to go to heaven, and I'm about to leave. What can I do for you before I go? Anything you want. Now, think about who is asking that question, who's giving that request. Elijah had done some pretty cool things. Fire from heaven, pretty cool. And then he comes to you and says, hey, what do you want from me? Anything. And we could think, man, that's a, that's a pretty big Request, man, that's a pretty big privilege. Elisha could ask for anything that he wanted. You know, we have that exact same privilege and that exact same responsibility that Elisha had to answer that question. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 7, Ask, everybody say ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. What big things are you asking God for? What's on your prayer list that scares you a little bit? See, we, we have an all-powerful God that can do some big things, but are we asking? Are we taking advantage? Many times we're lacking because we're not asking. And so Elijah says, what can I do, Elisha? What, what, what can I do if you notice the response that Elisha gives in verse number 9? And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. He says, Elijah, I want a double portion of your spirit to be upon me. Now, the double portion did not have to do with an amount. He wasn't saying, I want double what you had, or I want to do double the miracles. You know, he didn't say, I want a quadruple portion of your spirit. It wasn't about an amount. It had to do with the rights of the firstborn. It was, it was a term that had to do with the firstborn inheritance. You can read about it, and I believe it's Deuteronomy chapter number 21. It described that the firstborn received the inheritance, and he received everything that the father had. And so Elijah was not, or Elisha was not asking Elijah, I want your stuff. He was saying, I want your spirit. He, was, he wasn't saying, I want what you have. He said, I want who you are. What he was asking is, can I have the same power on my life that you had on your life? That, that's what he was saying when he said, I want the double portion. What was he requesting? He was requesting power. He was saying, Elijah, I've seen you do some great things. I've seen you call fire from heaven. I've seen these wonderful and amazing things that you did by faith. And I just want to have the same power on my life that you had on your life. I just, want to, I just want to do what God has called me to do. He had this desire to just fulfill the calling, to follow his route that God was going to give him. And he says, I just want a double portion. I just want your spirit on me. I just want God's power. The Bible says this in Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8. But ye shall receive power. Everybody say power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. If you are saved, then the power of the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the same power that rose Jesus, brought Jesus back to life is the same power that lives inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have access to that power, but are we taking advantage of it? Are you requesting God, hey, use me in a great way? God, I just want to do something big for my life. Or are you content to be like the sons of the prophets, to watch from afar off? There was a big difference between watching from afar off those 50 sons of the prophets and Elisha up close saying, I just want power. I want God to use me. 
Do you really have that desire? God, just use me in whatever capacity. Here am I. I just, I just want to be. I just want God's power to be evident in my life. He was requesting power. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter three, verse number twenty. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Number four. Moving along quickly this morning. Number four. Evaluate your time. If we're going to leave a godly legacy, we've got to evaluate our time. Notice verse number 10. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And so Elijah says that, that's difficult. And, uh, and we could unpack that a little bit further, but for sake of time, we'll, we'll, we'll stop there. And he says, uh, he says that's a difficult thing. But if you see me as I'm taken up, then your request will be granted unto you. If, you. if you see me, notice verse number 11. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold, everybody say behold. Behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, and naturally the horses needed to be of fire as well. And the horses of fire imparted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Just like that. They're walking along, and uh, I wish I could have seen this. I wish I could have just kind of listened into their conversation. Elijah and Elisha are walking along, and the Bible says they were just talking. They were just talking. You ever wonder what they were talking about? They're just kind of walking along, they're talking. And then boom, all of a sudden, chariots of fire with horses of fire and a whirlwind, and Elisha's gone in a moment. That's it. He's gone. Now, from this powerful and dramatic scene, I mean, that's pretty amazing, uh, pretty amazing event that just took place. From that, we learned two things. We learned about the brevity of time. The Bible says that, behold, one minute he was walking, behold, the next minute he was gone. Can I tell you this this morning? Life is short. Sometimes we don't have our eye on the game clock. I remember I was playing a basketball game in high school one time, and, and uh, we, were, uh, we were up by one point, and there was 10 seconds left, and uh, it was our ball, and uh, someone inbounded the ball to my friend, and uh, my friend took the ball with 10 seconds left, and he threw it as high as he could in the air, and he raised his hands up in victory, and the ball went out of bounds, went to the other team, and we all were like, what are you doing? And he looked up, and he just got this big shocked look on his face, and he said, I thought the clock said one second left, and it said 10 seconds. You know, whenever you play sports, a good athlete will always have his eye on the clock. He'll always know how much time is left, you know, on the shot clock, whatever. He'll, he'll always try to uh, figure out how much time is left. But the truth is, this morning in life, there is no visible game clock. There, there is no visible. We don't know how much time is left, but we do know this. The Bible says that life is a vapor. It's very quick. It's short. If Jesus came back today, would you be ready? Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you've never experienced the life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus. You've never encountered salvation. You, you, you've done some good things. You've gone to church. You've read your Bible a few times, but you've never really had a personal relationship with Jesus. You've never, you've never prayed and asked Jesus into your heart. And this morning, I would encourage you, life is short. Don't delay that any longer. Today can be the day of salvation for you. You don't have to put that off any longer. I would encourage you today, at the end, I'll give you an opportunity. You can pray and accept Christ as your Savior so that you can leave this room knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can have a home and heaven, because time is short. James 4 says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth 
away. And so we see the brevity of time, but also the reality of the rapture. And I'll go through this quickly. The reality of the rapture. Only two people ever in Scripture did not taste death, did not die. Enoch and Elijah. And uh, they were raptured up. They were caught up. And uh, the word rapture is a term, it's a word that uh, we use a lot as Christians, but it's actually nowhere mentioned in Scripture. But it really means to be caught up. It is a biblical term, uh, to be raptured, to be caught up. Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, verse number 24 says, And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. And uh, so, so he did not taste death. And here, Elijah, he gets caught up in a whirlwind. He gets taken up. And uh, the Bible says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope, Aren't you thankful this morning that we do have hope, that we do have a hope that's an anchor for our soul, that we can have a hope of the reality of heaven and that Jesus is coming back. We don't have to sorrow like others sorrow. When we uh, hear of death and when we uh, see someone die or someone that we love or someone passes on, guess what? We don't have to sorrow like others sorrow because we have this hope. And so, for if we believe not that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, those that are saved, that have died, will God bring with him, for this we say unto you uh, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, uh, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Everybody say caught up caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Is anybody looking forward to that day that we will ever be with the Lord? That's a glorious day. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I don't know about you, but I'm anticipating that heavenly reunion. I'm looking forward with the confident expectation of good, that, that heavenly and that biblical hope that we can hope that Jesus is coming again. And, and those that are in Christ Jesus, if we have not tasted death, then we will be raptured up, just like Elijah was. And so we see the reality of the rapture. And I want to notice, I want you to notice one final thought this morning in regards to living with the end in mind and leaving a godly legacy and we'll be done. Number five, pick up the mantle. How can we live with the end in mind? You've got to pick up the mantle. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 12. And Elisha saw it. Everybody say, saw it. This wonderful scene, the whirlwind, the chariots of fire, horses of fire. Elijah's caught up. And Elisha saw it. That was the one condition, that was the one prerequisite that Elijah gave to Elisha. You've got to see it if you want to receive the double portion. And Elisha saw it. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, and he rent them in two pieces. This was a moment of despair. Elisha says, my father, my father, the chariot and the horsemen of Israel. That was a military uh, terminology. That was saying that, that he's been the protector of Israel. Now he's gone. He rents his clothes. This is a moment of despair, but it's also a moment of decision. Verse 13. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And he went back and he stood by the bank of the Jordan and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and he smote the waters. Everybody say, smote the waters. And said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? I believe he said it loud enough for those sons of prophets to hear. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither and Elisha went over. I love the conclusion of this story because it was a moment of despair 
Elijah had gone up to heaven. He, 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 he's in heaven. He got caught up with the whirlwind. And now Elisha's left and he's singing, my father, my father, the, chariot, the, the, the horseman of Israel. And he's thinking, he's gone now. What am I going to do? And he walks over and he picks up the mantle. And I love this because Elisha had been doing a lot of observing. He'd been doing a lot of listening. He'd been doing a lot of gleaning. He was watching and observing and spectating what Elijah was doing. He was kind of following and just kind of learning what he was supposed to do. But now, Elisha transitions from spectating to participating. He says, now it's my turn. And he goes and he picks up that mantle and he strikes the water again this morning. I want to encourage you, if you've been spectating, if you've been observing, today is the day. Now is the time to pick up the mantle and start doing what God has called you to do. Maybe today means you start giving once again. Maybe it means you, you, you re-engage in your marriage once again and start trying once more. And Maybe you invite your neighbor once more to church. Pick up that mantle. Start serving. Start giving. Start being involved. Stop spectating. Say, now it's my time. I'm going to pick up the mantle and I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Can I encourage you this morning? Today, now, is the moment of decision. Are you going to pick up the mantle? Are you going to say, you know what? I've, I've observed for long enough. I've been with the sons of prophets watching. This morning, I'm going to pick up the mantle, and I'm going to start doing what God's called me to do. Imagine waking up one morning and reading your own obituary in the newspaper. That would be quite alarming. That happened to Alfred Nobel. And uh, he uh, woke up one morning and he picked up the newspaper and it was his obituary. And what happened was there was a French newspaper company that, that heard that his brother had died, but they thought that it was Alfred Nobel. And so they actually wrote his obituary and he woke up and he read it. And uh, it said this. There it is. He said, the, the article said, the merchant of death has died. And this was in reference to the fact that Alfred Nobel had uh, invented dynamite. And he was the inventor of dynamite. And the article, uh, kind of in a negative context, in a negative light, was kind of criticizing him a little bit, saying he's the merchant of death because of his invention, all these people have died. And Alfred Nobel was reading that, and it gave him an opportunity to reevaluate his life. He kind of had an opportunity to reassess and, and think, this is what people are going to remember me for. And so he decided to make some changes to his life, and he decided to uh, start putting his funds into uh, an award and prize money to start giving to people with great accomplishments and great achievements, and he came up with the Nobel Peace Prize. And see, we all know that Alfred Nobel, Nobel Peace Prize, that makes sense. Not many people know uh, that he invented dynamite because he wanted to rewrite his legacy. He had a moment, and he had an opportunity to reassess, and this morning I believe that God wants some of us to reassess. He wants some of us to think about our lives and think, if I continue down this path, what legacy am I going to leave? Elijah said, I want to pass on what God has done to the next generation. I want to leave a godly legacy. This morning, I want to encourage you to live with the end in mind. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight says, for I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure as at hand. I fought the good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. This morning I believe that there's a lot of principles that we can glean from Second Kings chapter number two. about living with the end in mind. 
How many could say this morning, God spoke to me in one of these areas, maybe one of these points, maybe pick up the mantle, maybe activate my faith, maybe invest in other people. God spoke to me in one of these areas this morning. God challenged me to live with the end in mind, and, and, and I want to make some, some changes to my life. I want to, maybe it's to start serving and stop spectating. In one of these areas, God spoke to me. If that's you, can I see your hand this morning? God spoke to me in one of these areas. Hands all over the room. You can put your hands down. I believe that the most pressing question that we could ask this morning is, if you were to die today, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, do you know with 100% certainty that you would go to heaven when you die? Are you prepared for that day? Are you prepared for Jesus to come back? Are you prepared, if you were to die today, where you'd spend eternity? A lot of people have an idea, a lot of people think, a lot of people would like to know, but the reality is, is they're not exactly sure. And I've always been told, hey, if you're 99% sure, then you are 100% lost. And many people think they know, but they're just not really prepared for the end because they've never had that real encounter with Jesus. Maybe your parents have had something like that. Maybe you've had some religious background, some religious knowledge, but you've never made it personal. You've never made it real. And this morning, I'd like to give you an opportunity to pray and accept Christ. The Bible says that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's by his mercy that he saved us. It's not about being good. It's not about going to church. It's not about reading the Bible. That's not what it's about. It's all about the free gift of Jesus dying on the cross and we can accept him into our lives as our savior. It's all about what Jesus did on the cross. And if you believe that Jesus died and rose again this morning, you can confess that with your mouth. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ, I want to encourage you. You can pray along in your seat. You can pray along with me. I'm going to lead in a prayer. And if you'd like to pray and accept Christ as your Savior, I would encourage you to do that this morning. Hey, we, life is short. Behold, in a moment, Elijah was gone. His life was done. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And if you're unsure about your eternal destiny, why wait any longer? I'm going to lead in a prayer. I would encourage you, if you've never prayed and accepted Christ, you can, lead, you can pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for sending your son to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for my sins. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. But Jesus, today I'm turning from my sin and I'm accepting you as my savior. I believe. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me new life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed still, just in this moment of privacy. We're going to conclude the service here in just a moment. How many of you could say, Pastor Matt, I just prayed along with you that prayer, and you're not ashamed of it. Can I see your hand real quick? Nobody's looking around. I just prayed that prayer for the first time. That's awesome. Anybody else? I prayed that prayer. Thank you. That's the best decision that you could ever make. That's an amazing decision. Your life will never be the same. And for those of you that just prayed that prayer, we, we want to get, get a book into your hands. And as you leave, you can grab one of these uh, books that we want to give to you. And uh, that will encourage you in your new walk with Christ. But that's an amazing decision to make. Let's all stand together this morning as we conclude this service.